Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Well, church family, what are the things in your life today that may look good, but inside it's just garbage? What are the things in your life today that may look good, but but deep inside it's just garbage? Take a look at this. Walking through wild marshlands and hills of native grass, it's hard to believe you're inside New York City. Even harder to think this area was once the world's largest landfill. (laughs) And now, this is a place Douglas Dix and his neighbors can't wait to take their kids. I was glad to see that it was going to close. Seeing the change, um, you know, it was nice. And how quickly nature can recover from what we've done to it. Since the late 1940s, Fresh Kills Landfill in Staten Island accepted New York City's trash. At its peak, 29,000 tons a day. It closed in 2001 and briefly reopened to accept materials from the World Trade Center disaster. Today, it's becoming something else. So it is now the world's largest landfill to park transformation project, and it's the largest park project in New York City in the last 100 years. So by almost any measure, it is hugely ambitious. Segments of the park have already opened, but full access is limited to on-site programs. It will take years to completely develop, but in the end, Fresh Kills Park will be three times the size of Central Park. When they have the uh, open day and you can climb on top of that hill that used to be a pile of garbage, and you can look over and just see the bird sanctuary and uh, what, you know, whatever nature has come back. It's good to see the, the changes for the better. It's cleaner, um, safer. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to our series, Living the Jesus Life. If you haven't been with us, we've been camped out in the book of Philippians. Because in Philippians, Paul writes about how we must live in response to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And today, Paul's words to the church are all about the garbage. All about the garbage. Not the garbage we may often think about, but the garbage that appears to be good, but, but even appears to be godly. But really, it's, it's garbage. So let's look at Philippians 3, uh, verse 1. I've got uh, behind me on the screen, if you're a, a version Bible app user, there's an event set up there with some extra notes and things for you to follow along. Uh, but this is the word of the Lord for us today. It says, uh, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus 
Verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who uh, serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though, beginning of verse 4, I myself have reasons for such confidence. I want to stop there and just talk about what in the world is Paul talking about here, specifically circumcision. Why in the world, in the middle of this book that's all about living the Jesus life, does he bring up this specific issue? Well, he's addressing something specifically that's happening in the context. And that's, there's this group of people, they're called Judaizers, and what they believed is that in order to be saved, you had to become Jewish. You had to follow every law and every custom in order to be a Jew, and then if you did that, then you could be saved. That the salvation of Christ would be applicable to you. And so Paul is kind of calling this out, he's calling this practice evil. And then he, he's using this faulty example, this faulty reasoning, this faulty logic and building upon it. Paul, in other words, Paul is saying, he's, he's addressing this argument that says, here's all the list of requirements that I must do to be made righteous. Whenever someone tries to require Jesus plus something, Jesus plus anything, you know there's a problem, and that's, that's what Paul's going to do. And so he's going to continue in verse 4 to kind of build upon this argument to help us understand why it's, it's garbage, why it's garbage. He goes on, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in their ability. I have more. So this is Paul's list. He's going to give us a list of all the things, all the reasons, all the trophies on his mantle, right? He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. If Impressive Jewish requirements were a means to salvation. Paul had it all. He checked every single box. In fact, he was one of the most impressive Jews until his life was interrupted. I use that word intentionally, by Jesus, by Christ. But Paul is saying, by your standard, I had it all. I was the king of religion. But then there comes this word at the beginning of verse 7. It's a three-letter word, right? But. Turn to your neighbor and say, but, here it is, right? In other words, he said all this for six verses, but. Some of you giggled a little bit when you said that. It's okay. Verse 7, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Remember, he's writing in prison. So he's saying, for, for the sake of Christ, I've lost it all. But I consider all of those things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, the... the to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. As impressive as Paul's list was, he considered it all a loss. Look again at verse 8. What does he say? What is more, I consider everything a loss. Whatever his list was, whatever all the accolades, I consider it all a loss compared, right? To, I consider it all a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not just knowing about him, not just knowledge, not just being, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, a fan of Jesus, right? I know about him, 
No, knowing him, and specifically, what does verse 8 say? Knowing him as Lord. He's Lord of my life. I know him in that way. Compared to that, Paul says it's, it's garbage. It's garbage. Jesus plus anything is garbage. That's what Paul's saying. And in fact, the Greek word here, if you dive a little bit deeper, it's not just garbage, it's, it's excrement. I mean, it's the grossest of gross things, right? That's, that's the, the, the idea that Paul wants us to have in our head. Anything, anything that we try to put in place of knowing Christ is that. It's garbage. So how about you today? What, what are the things that you might consider righteousness, but really it's just trash? It's just trash. Really, the, the summary of this entire passage, look at verse 10. The first five words, what does Paul say? I want to know Christ. He, he reiterates it, but really this is what it's all about for him. I want to know Christ. It's about participating, right? He goes on to talk about that, but ultimately it's about knowing him. On the screen behind me, I have a, a, a picture of a blue ringed octopus. I, I don't know a lot about animals and science and all those things, but uh, some of you do. My, my, my kids, some, they know a lot more about stuff than I do, but I was fascinated as I learned a little bit about this beautiful creature. It lives off the coast of Australia, and they're only about five to six inches in size, so they're pretty small. And uh, what's fascinating, it's a blue ringed octopus, but their blue rings actually change color when they feel threatened, according to the, the, the habitat, what's happening around them. But what's fascinating is this five to six inch, kind of relatively small octopus. Its bite is nearly painless, but it has enough venom to reportedly has enough venom to take down 26 people. One five, six inch octopus. Isn't it remarkable that something that looks so beautiful, appears so beautiful, can actually be so deadly? But church, that's, that's what religion is. That's what religion does. It appears so beautiful. But really, it's deadly. Really. As Paul would say, it's garbage. It's garbage. That's, that's what Paul is addressing. Here, here's one of the biggest dangers today in our world. Is that religion, and I'll explain more of what, what that means in a minute, but religion can exist beneath the surface, unchallenged, unquestioned. It appears beautiful, right? But it's actually deadly. Look, I've grown up in the church. I've raised my whole life in the church and have had a lot of experiences. Even though my faith became more and more real to me as a teenager, I was blessed to have the opportunity of experiencing many, many things as a child and on through the years. And look, I, I've seen incredible things, blessings by being a part of the church, but I've seen some stuff, man. And I've seen some people too many people choose a path of religion rather than a relationship with God. What's the difference? Well, there's plenty of examples of religion that might seem extreme, right? But, but I, I was laughing, thinking about a few things as I was a kid. Some of the guardrails that we put up. And look, we need guardrails. Talk about that in a minute. But, but I, I was a kid. I remember. I remember there were many as a, when I was a kid that believed playing cards was sinful. We couldn't do that. Going to the movies, that was sinful. We didn't do that. Wearing jeans to church. Some of you might want to look at the neighbor to left or right if they're wearing jeans and give them a little elbow there, right? Look, I, I'm familiar with how quickly we can make the, the, this list of rules. Do this, don't do this. And it's, it's really religion, right? And I was raised with that tension. It's not wrong to have guardrails. We need boundaries, okay? But listen, the problem is 
The problem with religion is it loses sight of true relationship. What we do matters. Listen to me, church. What we do matters, but our salvation is not in a what. Our salvation is in a who. I'm going to say that again. This is so important. Our salvation is not found in a what. The things that we do, the things that we accomplish, the boxes that we check, right? Our salvation is found in who? Who? Christ Jesus, a relationship with him. So in our passage today, what does Paul do? He makes his list. I wonder what your list could be. Here's one. Here's one for some of us. A list could sound something like this. Well, my grandparents and parents were Christians, devout Christians. I was in church every Sunday, sometimes both services. I attended Sunday school. I went to VBS. I went to kids camp and youth camp, and I was even baptized as a teenager. I went to a Christian school. I attended a Christian college. I volunteered to help feed the poor. I volunteer at the church. I go to a small group. I even give my tithes and my offerings. Listen, there are plenty of extreme examples, but listen to the examples I just said. There's so many of those things that are wonderful. But what's the difference? The difference between religion and a relationship is in religion, we we do these things to, to try to make ourselves right with God. We try to justify ourselves, and in doing so, it's all of the list, all of the things that we have to do to make ourselves righteous. But do you know what a relationship is all about? A relationship with Christ means we know we can never do anything to truly make ourselves right. There's no amount of boxes we can check that will ever make us right. There's no action or due diligence. It's only found through relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way, that's the only way that we're made righteous. Paul writes in 2 Timothy later in the Gospels and later in the Scriptures, and he says this. He's talking about in the last days, and he's describing believers. And what he's describing is believers who choose a form of godliness but deny its power. Is it possible that the church, I'm talking about the church universal in in the year 2023, is filled with individuals settling for a form of godliness? A form of godliness. It's just an imitation. It's a mirage. It's not the real thing. It appears beautiful, but it can kill you. Is it possible that, that those, even that would say they're Christians, they're believers, are settling for something that's garbage? garbage. One question, one question I had in my mind as I was preparing this week, and look, I've, I've been honest that I've many times in my life come face to face with religion, come face to face with legalism and believing in my mind somehow that if I do enough things that I'll, I'll earn the, the love of God, that I'll, I'll be righteous enough. But my question as I was reading this is, is if we know we can be in relationship, and some of us in the room have even experienced that in our lives, but still at times we'll turn to religion. But why do we do that? Why would we ever do that? Why if given the choice between a, a real relationship with Christ and religion that's just about practices and do's and don'ts, why would we ever choose that? So I was thinking about that this week, and I came up with a couple. It's, it's not an exhaustive list. But why? Why do we settle for religion? Why do I settle for religion in my life? See if this list uh, makes any sense to you. At the risk of being oversimplistic, I have them on the screen. First, I think we do it because we think it's easier. It's easier. Relationships are hard. 
You can say amen. It's okay. You can look at the person next to you and say amen. Right, relationships are messy. So we, we settle for something that's easier. It's easier, instead of being in a relationship, it's easier to just have a list of do's and don'ts. And if I do these and I don't do these, I'm good. Some of us, we're kind of box checkers. Like you, you make your list for the week and your tasks at work and your things. And it feels really good when you, come on, you know what I'm saying, you check that box. It feels good. So that's what we kind of make our faith into. Check the box, right? Go to church. Check that box. Pray a little bit. Check that box. Feels good, right? Give enough. Serve enough. Check the box. Check the box. Make a lot of boxes in your life to check, and so religion just makes it easy. And sometimes, maybe far too often, we settle for that. It's the easy path. Number two, it's similar but a little bit different. It's safer. At least we think it is. We convince ourselves it is. What do I mean by that? See, religion, it may require discipline. It takes time and resources and commitment. But you can pursue religion and play it safe. You can pursue religion and pick and choose where you want to be obedient and faithful. Pick and choose where where you want to to, to apply your, your time and your effort and energy. But the problem is that's not the call of the gospel. It's not a call to be comfortable and safe. This this word, this gospel is not a call to just do the safe thing, the comfortable thing. Jesus said, if you want to follow after me, take up your cross. That sounds not safe. Certainly it sounds like work at the very least, doesn't it? It might be risky. So religion allows us to pick and choose what we'll do, pick and choose our commitments, but ultimately to play it safe, to not risk too much. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 3, I consider everything a loss. It it begs the question, what have you lost? Now listen, it's not some form of of being a martyr, look at all the things I've lost, because I just mean, what have you ever had to compromise or sacrifice in your relationship? And see, religion allows us to just check the boxes that we want to, without really having to risk much at all. But the call of the gospel, take up your cross and follow. Paul is saying, it's it's all a loss for me because I I just want to know Christ. Jesus invites us into a real life-giving relationship. Will it be easy? No. No. Will it involve pain and sacrifice? Yes. Sometimes it will. But it's how we find true life and true hope that religion can never truly give you. Number three, the reason that we do this is because it's convenient. It's convenient. We live in a world of convenience. I don't have to tell you that. You can punch in your little grocery order in two hours, go pick it up. Someone will put it in your car for you, right? We love our convenience. And the truth is, that's what we make a relationship with God about convenience. To help illustrate this, I brought with me uh, a box, and I want to illustrate this this morning as a God box. And this is, what, this is what some of us do in our lives because it's more convenient. A relationship is not always convenient. You can say amen again and look to the person to your love, right? Relationship's not always convenient, is it? But what we do is we like convenience. So here's what we do with our God box. Um, we have our box, 
And the beautiful thing about a God box is you can take it wherever you want. For instance, I would never go driving without my God box because you never know when you might get pulled over and you got to whip this thing out quick before the officer comes up. Oh, God, help me. You know that I love you and that I'm faithful. You better pull that God box out quick. You're never driving without a God box. Some of you got a couple of these probably in your car that you're right, right? Come on, students, on test day, you got to bring the God box because there's that moment when the exam begins in the moment of truth and your heart's beaten and you offer this prayer, God, help me, you know, please. Whatever words you're uttering, it may not even make sense, but in that moment, you better believe you got your God box, right? Come on, you know you bring your God box to church for 65 minutes on a Sunday, 70 if the pastor gets a little bit carried away. We've got our God box. But then... The best thing about a God box is when you don't want it anymore, you just put it down. Monday, Tuesday, what, work? I don't need a God box at work. What am I going to do with it there? The weekend, Friday and Saturday, Sunday, I'll need the God box. But Friday and Saturday, that belongs to me. I don't need that thing. This is what we do. We make, we make a relationship about convenience where I pick it up when I want it, when I need it, when it can do something for me. And when it gets in the way or it's too cumbersome, See you later. That, that's why. That's why we turn to religion, because we've made it about convenience. But, but show me a relationship built on convenience, and I'll show you a relationship that's destined for a lot of pain and suffering and frustration. Because the people that you care about most in your life, right, they're, they're a priority. You don't just say, I'll get to you maybe an hour next week. I'll let you know. I'll fit you in when I can, right? That's not a relationship that you... You sacrifice, you care, you build connection. That's, that's relationship. And the reason, the reason we turn to religion is, is often out of, out of convenience. Today, today I wonder, I wonder how often we take the gospel, we take a, a real relationship that's being offered to us and we try to make it about a, a me first, risk-free life. And I'm just here to tell you that is a dead-end road. It's a road that only leads to religion, and it's garbage, and it can't save you. It won't. The hope that you need, the life that you desperately want, it's a dead-end road. On the screen behind me, I have this truth I just want us to cling to today, that religion will never save you. It never could. It never could. And some of you, I don't have to convince you of that because you've seen it. You've experienced it. Too many times because it's safe or it's easy or it's convenient, you've turned to some mirage, some form of relationship that looked beautiful, but it's really deadly and it, it can't save you and it can't give you the hope that you really need in your life. Anything, however long your list could be today, it's garbage when it's put in place of the centrality of Jesus Christ. It's garbage compared to knowing Jesus and him alone having a relationship with him. Today, I want to I offer a really simple invitation. I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. Listen, Every person in the room, I don't, I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you came in the room thinking you were religious or not. I, I don't care if you're a skeptic. Or, but today, every single one of us, every single one of us can make that. I want to know you. 
I want to really, I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to be just lost in all of the do's and don'ts and the religious mess. God, I want to know you. And the truth is, because of what Jesus did for you, you can know him. Every single one of us today can know him. Maybe you've never, you've never gotten there in your heart and mind and today for the first time, or maybe like me, you've been on that journey, you've been in that relationship, and it just got messy. It just became about playing it safe. It just became about convenience. And you, and you made a relationship with the God of the universe who loved you, who gave himself for you. You made it into something it's never intended to be. So the invitation for all of us today is just that. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you. Everything else in my life, even if it's good things, it's all just, it's, it's garbage compared to that. Knowing you. Knowing you. The band's going to come and they're going to help us prepare for communion Uh, One of the things that we get to do as a church family ever so often is celebrate the sacrament of communion. And so we're going to have some time to pray in a minute and offer an opportunity to come to the table. I was reminded in scripture uh, this week, I want to share this with you as we prepare to close. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking the words of Jesus. And Jesus is talking about in those final moments and those end days and, 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 and the claim Jesus makes, it shakes me to my core and it wakes me up. And on the days when I make a relationship with him, something it was never intended to be, I, I think about these words. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name we drove out demons and performed many miracles. Then I will say to them plainly, this is the words of Jesus, I never knew you. Get this. These are people that are doing things for Jesus. They are doing, they're prophesying and preaching and there's miracles happening and they were probably leading a small group or teaching a Sunday school class or they were tithing, whatever the list would be. But Jesus says, you did all those things, but I didn't know you. That wakes me up a little bit. For somebody that can get caught in checking the boxes and somebody that can get a little too comfortable with my list of do's and don'ts and somebody that can sometimes believe, I wouldn't want to admit it, but believe that I have to do enough. I remember Matthew chapter 7 and I said, wow, Jesus, I want to know you. Many of those things that I do, they're not bad, they're not wrong, but, but it's all about relationship. It's about knowing you. And so today I just want to offer that simple invitation to know him. On the night Jesus was betrayed, um, he was gathered with his disciples, and Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that he was about to die on the cross, the sacrifice for sin, to make a way for all people to be in relationship, right relationship with God. But he took the bread as he's sitting there with his disciples, and he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this and remember. Disciples probably had, had no idea what was about to happen. Then he took the cup and he said, this, is, this represents my blood. Pour it out for you. Take this and remember me. So why, why do we celebrate communion thousands of years later? Because we just take Jesus at his word. We want to remember him. And so the bread is a symbol, right, of his body broken for us. The cup is a symbol of his blood poured out for us. And every now and then we just want to remember. We always want to remember, but sometimes we want to just take an opportunity to remember And today, you you don't have to be a member of this church to come to the table. All are invited, but you know the posture of our hearts as we come to the table today? God, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. 
I want to trade good things, anything in my life that I would stack up compared to knowing you. I want to trade that because I want to know you. If that's the posture of your heart today, then you're welcome. You're welcome at this table. Some will come and they'll bring the elements back to their seat, have a moment of quiet prayer and reflection. Some may want to kneel at an altar and others gather with their family. But as we pray, as we worship, you're invited to come to the table. If your heart's desire is, oh God, I want to know you. Church family, would you, would you stand? I want to pray. I want to pray for you now. God, thank you that you made a way for us to be in a real life-giving relationship with you and that any form of religion that we may build or that we may create or the boxes we check, Lord, it, it just, it fails. It's a dead-end road. It can't save us. It never will. But today, the posture of our heart, the cry of our heart is, I want to know you. Every single person in this room, every single one of us can pray that prayer today. No matter, maybe we have known you, but today we want to know you more. So Lord, as we come to the table today, we don't come out of duty or obligation. There's, there's no intimidation today. Nobody has to come. But Lord, we desire to know you today. And so some of us are going to come and we're going to give thanks. We're going to remember the sacrifice that you made for us. and We're going to recommit into a real relationship with you. It's not always going to be easy. But Lord, it's the source of true life today and life for eternity. So we love you and, and be with us now as we pray. Be with us now as we worship. May your spirit come and just be evident in this room. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.